0: Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast here on this Thursday, November 12th, 2020. On the show today, I speak with RJ Anderson of CBS Sports, one of our favorite guests to have on the show. We touch on a whole lot today on this program. He and I talk about Tony La Russa's situation with the White Sox. We talk about the 2020 season and whether or not it was a success. And then we talk some free agency. You know, we've talked a lot about free agency on the show but we wanted to get an outsider's perspective on the nationals shot at a few of these guys and so rj and i go through his list you can find it at cbsports.com of the 60 best free agents available he projects where they could go and the nationals guys let me tell you he has them as a fit for a whole lot of the top guys to so check out that work and also you guys will enjoy this show today now one more note before we go this was taped on tuesday so if anybody has been signed or anything changes uh just go with that but the reason why we're airing it today is i wanted to air the second part of our buy or sell episode with max raymond on wednesday so part one and part two of nat's reagency buy or sell is tuesday wednesday check those out and then today we've got our conversation here on thursday with rj anderson of cbs sports enjoy y'all Hello, everybody. Joining us today on the On Nationals podcast, one of my favorites, one of your favorites, is R.J. Anderson of CBS Sports. R.J., how are you doing? This is a standard off-season, right? We're, we're in November, we're talking about free agency, talking about managerial moves. Things feel kind of normal right now in baseball, don't they?
1: Yeah, um, I would say things do feel kind of normal in baseball, which is a good thing, because outside of baseball, things are obviously pretty <laughs> abnormal. <laughs>
0: Uh, I want to start before we get to kind of, I have a big picture question for you, but I want to go to this Tony LaRussa story, right? The, the uh, DUI um, that was, that he got uh, allegedly in February, right? And uh, can you tell us more about this and maybe you did some reporting on it?
1: Yeah, well, ESPN's Jeff Passan and a few others uh, uncovered some, well, obtained some documents from Arizona where LaRussa was arrested in February after he drove his car into a curb and Was found to have been under the influence. And this is his second arrest for DUI. Uh, The first time was back in 2007. And the odd thing is that he did not have his files charged, excuse me, his charges filed until the day before he was officially introduced as the White Sox manager. So that's kind of a weird little wrinkle, but it does appear that the team was aware of the arrest when they hired him. And it does not appear that this is going to lead to him being fired or disciplined. Uh, based on some of the ever reporting out there so that's basically the overview of that situation that's, as i understand it
0: no that, that's weird because i was actually going to ask you does have any bearing on his hiring i, I mean we all could kind of assume no uh you know players get kept on for offenses like this very rare to see them uh leave for things such as a dui but no discipline at all no fine no you know recommending publicly nothing not, nothing of that sort coming from the white Sox.
1: I guess not, based on uh, (laughs) my understanding. But obviously things can change, and we'll see. But, yeah, it's not a great situation for everyone involved.
0: All right, moving on to the baseball season that that concluded, and we've had a little bit of time to think about it. This is a big question. Was the baseball season, the 2020 Major League Baseball season, a success?
1: Uh, You know, I think that paints it in a binary light. that probably (laughs) – really isn't helpful in these kind of conversations because there's a nuance there right Right. you know certainly that we got through the season without it being canceled i guess isn't a success in a sense but you know those two early outbreaks suggested that mlb either wasn't taking this as seriously as they should have been or they received some bad advice or they didn't follow the advice they received or you know any number of things and obviously you know you have to think about the eduardo rodriguez situation and Yeah, there's just a lot in there. The Justin Turner situation to end the year was appropriate in a sense because it was just like, you know, one last uh, complete mind blowing event from the season. But I don't know. Was it a success? Was it not a success? You know, I know the owners probably think it's a success because they made the money off of it. Was it a success though? From my point of view, I just, I don't know. There was good, I guess, and there was bad. And I'll give them credit for making adjustments on the fly, but I'm not willing to necessarily say they did a good job overall
0: yeah it's a yes but i guess you know yeah thinking about it right i mean i think as and congrats the dodgers that's obviously in order but as much as we think about it it's going to be a yes but this will always be the world series that's remembered for justin turner right and for Rob yeah. Manfred telling us that justin turner is in isolation and after the cameras cut off the television cameras cut off <laughs> justin turner's in the field and so we're all like what in the hell is going on and you know, obviously they're they're dealing with their own COVID issues now. And I think if that wasn't the perfect encapsulation of the season, I know it's kind of, you know, uh, it almost kind of, you feel a little bit irresponsible to be like, well, that just kind of captures the season because it's kind of a sports ism that we use all the time, you know, saying this is yeah. a micro- microcosm, you know, during a global pandemic, but it really is, right. I, you know, seeing him on the field, uh, kissing his wife and next to, you know, cancer survivor, who's manager and all those things. I mean, th- that is the ultimate yes, but here's the World Series champion, but we still have this awful situation transpiring for our eyes.
1: Yeah. I mean, if it was a, a movie or a novel, he would have said the ending was a little too on the nose. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Um, which brings me to a little free agency note I kind of want to get into here with you. Do you think that incident's going to affect Justin Turner's free agency prospects at all or no?
1: Well, the fact that he wasn't suspended or fined or anything like that leads me to believe not really. um i'm sure his free agency will be impacted in the same way that everyone else's free agency will be at least you know the non-elite players where he's probably going to take less money than he wanted to this time a year ago but uh, my guess is he'll end up back with the dodgers and you know it'll i don't want to say it'll become like a funny is not the right term but i bet you in 10 or five years or whatever people will be referencing it and i can just hear matt vaskers and referencing that and like chuckling at the end of it you know what i mean yeah i'm not saying it'll ever be funny because it was uh, irresponsible and reckless decision on his part, but I can see it becoming that kind of situation for a lot of people.
0: Moving through some free agency stuff. So the Mets obviously go through an ownership change uh, at the end of last week on Friday, it was made official and they clean house the front office. Mm-hmm. Do you think their players, I mean, do you think there's a chance that they're a player for Lindor, Lindor plus Springer, do you think everything's on the table for the Mets? Uh,
1: should be right. I mean, this yeah. is a team that has an opportunity here to kind of, Take a shortcut to the top of a national league east or at least attempt to take a shortcut to the top of the national league east and it seems like it's going to be a buyer's market both on the trade and free agency fronts and i think that if cohen wants to you know really get his fan base juiced the best way to do that is to take full advantage of his financial might and you know rub it in the owner's faces i mean you're in the club now do what you want to do right um, i think baseball needs an owner who kind of just goes in the business for himself and spends as much money as he wants to. Right. I think, you know, one of the defining aspects of the Manfred era has been how all the owners just stay in lockstep and no one is willing to, you know, break that to do what's best for their franchise. And I think having, I, I know the Steinbrenner comparison is kind of tired, but having a Steinbrenner like figure who's willing to just kind of go in business for himself would be welcomed right now. And I think it would change the dynamics of the game in a good way.
0: Yeah, I think he, he kind of has a reputation to live up to already before he's even in, right? I mean, there's this there's this idea coming in that he's going to be this, you know, wild, wild man in terms of ownership, right? He's going to go out yeah. there, spend the money, make the trades, build the roster, everything else be damned. And I think you're right. The refreshing point is something that I think, and you and I have talked about it too, is that, you know, the, the dynamics of ownership, especially Major League Baseball, it seems to be one of those where, you know, a lot of these guys are just here to kind of make the money, right? A, a lot of ownership groups don't seem to be like those Steve Ballmer's of the world who come in, get the Clippers and say, let's just have at it. I'm going to be a, you know, crazy wild fan on the sidelines. I want this team to succeed. I don't care if I pay the luxury tax, all those things. And I'm not saying that Steve Cohen's going to be some unhinged maniac on the sidelines, but um, it's going, I think it is going to be refreshing. And, especially, you know, as it it pertains to the Nationals, there's some heat now in the National League East. I mean, I'm reading a lot of, you know, your top free agents and stuff, and a lot of these top guys, you've got National League East teams in (laughs) on them, right? It kind of, it now ratchets up the ante in a division where, you know, three teams that didn't make the playoffs were all teams that we thought maybe had a shot to make the playoffs, right? The Nationals, the Mets, and the Phillies are all teams that see themselves as playoff teams, and none of them made it. The Marlins made it, and the Braves made it. The Braves will probably be back. The Marlins now are going to be competing as well, too. The ante in this division is just being ratcheted up by by Steve Cohen's purchase of the Mets. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And, yeah, you know, those three teams you mentioned are connected to a lot of the top free agents. It makes sense, right? You know, the Mets supposedly have all this new money coming in. The Nationals have some money coming off the books, and they really don't have a choice ever than to spend more money because Lord knows that farm system is not going to help them. Oh, no. Repair their their woes, and then you have uh, the Phillies, and they've been spending money left and right. And again, their only option, based on what their farm system looks like and what the roster looks like, is to spend a little more. So, I anticipate that yeah, we're going to see some of these top free agents land of a National League East. And I mean, even the Braves, you know, they have incentive to go out there and try to sign a Marcus Stroman type or whomever as well. So, I think you're going to see four of those five teams. Uh, buzzing in the top ten or so free agents, and then the Marlins—you know—maybe they follow up last offseason by spending a little bit more. Because as it turns out, when you try to fill a decent roster, sometimes good things happen. And I think that that's a lesson that a lot of Major League Baseball right. could learn from, frankly.
0: Uh, the first guy I want to talk about is J.T. Realmuto, and you have the possible fits on here. This is so funny—you have these Phillies, <laughs> Nationals, Mets—and <laughs> what I've been saying about this is I—I I don't like—I don't think there's a way he leaves the division. I, I think yeah. it's just it makes way too much sense for all three of those teams to want to get him. Um the the Mets clearly at their catcher position That's something they need. The Nationals, I mean, they've got Jan Gomes, but they man, they need that they need that protection for Soto so badly. And the Phillies, obviously. Uh once again, it's another one of those situations where the ante has been ratcheted up because could you imagine JT Rio Muto on another team in National League East, Sixto Sanchez on another team in the National League? Right. East? It's just kind of a nightmare situation for them, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's such a weird situation too because you had the owner publicly come out and say, well, I wasn't for the trade unless we get an extension done, and then the GM resigns, and there's just a lot of weirdness wrapped up with that, but, right. you know, I think the one situation here that I could see Romuto leaving the National League East for is if the Yankees, for whatever reason, say, you know what, you know, nothing against Gary Sanchez, but we're going to upgrade here because remember, a few years back, there were rumors that they were pondering a Sanchez for a real Muto trade. And this is obviously before they signed Garrett Cole. And I believe it was after they acquired Stanton. So this is a little bit of go, but you know, if they do something like that, then maybe he leaves the National League East, but otherwise I do think those three teams listed are probably the favorites. And, yeah, it's funny because I remember being at the All Star Game when I was in DC, and the guy who got the loudest cheers of the night, non Nationals division, was JT Realmuto. It seemed like the city <laughs> really was kind of like you know trying to force Rizzo's hand there. So, right. and you know he's such a good player. I, I think I had him I had him number two, obviously, but the reason I gave is because the league usually doesn't give catchers those mega deals. If you look at say twenty million AAV, there's one backstop. And there's like eight outfielders. So <laughs> maybe I'm overthinking it because you could argue on a talent basis that Muto deserves to be number one. He's an elite player, no doubt about it. But that aspect made me drop to number two, where I just think that Springer is more likely to get the massive payday. Uh, whereas Realmuto, being a 30 year old catcher will probably, you know, reduce his cost a little bit. And that could present him as not a bargain, but, you know, kind of a value proposition, despite being clearly an elite player.
0: Well, I, I've said the JT Real Mito thing, and another interesting part of it is the catcher market right now. Because you look at you look at the other guys available, and the fact that, that they're all not him in so many different variety of ways <laughs> yes. kind of ups his value, right? I mean, I know it's kind of an odd way to look at it, but, you know, you got guys like, hey, Yadier Molina is one of the best catchers available, you know, in some sense. James McCann's a number two, and yeah. he is, I mean, the distance between him and Real Mito, it, you know, no disrespect to James McCann. But it's, it's a chasm, right? I mean, I know McKenna had a really good offensive season, but the uh, consistency, the production, and just kind of, you know, Real Muto, I think oh, I will say one thing he does very well is he passes the eye test very well. Just yeah. you kind of see him as big, hulking athlete, um, a guy who moves really well. And so I think that's one thing, too. You know, I'm not sure how you feel about this, but the, but the market for a catcher, all in everybody in the league else who also catches is not him. But I think, especially this season, that could help him a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you're right. The catching market's pretty thin. You have Realmino, you have McCann, and I think those are the only clear number one options out there. Um, and you know, that's banking on McCann's offense staying where it is, which, right. to be fair, it seems like he's going to be a decent hitter, a good hitter for the position, and also banking on his defensive improvement sticking, because this is a guy who put in a lot of work with Jerry Nair in last winter to improve his presentation on balls low in the zone, and if you look at his framing numbers it seemingly made a huge difference. And if those numbers stick, you go from this guy being a defensive liability, being a defensive asset. And again, if you believe in his bat, which I think it's fair to say, most people are going to believe in his bat more than they can believe in his defensive numbers from a 60-game season. But if you believe in it, then you have a chance to get a a legit starter, perhaps at less than he would usually get, uh, or if he had better track record or whatever. So I do think he's the second most interesting catcher. Then after that, you know, you're talking about... Gaudíer, Frankly, if his name wasn't Goddier Molina, I don't know if any of us would really put him on our list just because, right. you know, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He doesn't really walk. The defensive reputation is amazing. Obviously, you know, you. I think you have to believe in his soft skills and his leadership qualities and all that. I give him full credit for that, no doubt about it. But if you're projecting this guy going forward, it's probably going to be a very, very light bat and you're going to really have to depend on those that defense and that's fine. But you know it's not really special and then you have guys like jason castro um you know i think he's a platoon guy which is totally fine and then you have like wilson ramos and then you get into you know the barrel of guys like mike zanino and jeff mathis and look you know they're all fine but yeah I'm talking like a starter level catcher a guy you could put back there 120 times a year it's remito maybe mccann and then you know if you're doing the legacy thing Yadi yammerlena and that's it
0: I want to move on to a different position here um, and just a couple more guys before we get out of here. DJ LeMahieu, to me, I just, I've after been thinking about it. It has made a lot of sense for the Nats. They need yeah. protection. Um, that second base spot, I, I feel like the best solution for them is th- – I mean, they, they screwed themselves this year because they didn't really give Carter Keebin the requisite time to work out whether he can play third base or not. My opinion is if they really do care about restructuring the lineup and giving some protection uh, to Juan Soto – putting LeMahieu at second and moving Castro to third is their best option. That would give them a real, I mean, a lot more options just in the field and also bringing back Josh Harrison as well. And also in the field and then and then the lineup, just that would help them so much. If Castro comes back as the guy that we, know, we think he could be and the guy he was when he got hurt, uh, the Nationals will be in good shape. I think LeMahieu from an offensive standpoint makes way too much sense to the Nationals not to give a, him a serious spin, you know, give the tires a serious spin on him.
1: Yeah, um, I think I had him – As a potential fit with the Nationals, actually, he did. Yes, he did. You know, he's he's an interesting player. Obviously, you know, he can hit, and there's no doubt about that. But the thing that's interesting about him is how his power may have aligned perfectly with Yankee Stadium. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at uh, Statcast as like expected home runs based on the ball's trajectory and exit velocity, and all that stuff. And I think he's hit like a dozen more home runs over the last two years, because despite the power gains, he's still a ground ball hitter. You know, he has one of the lowest launch angles in baseball. And I guess if I'm a team who isn't playing games in Yankee Stadium, I'm a little (laughs) concerned that those power numbers are going to be a mirage. And I might pay a little bit more for him than his production will justify heading forward. But at the same time, I believe he's a good hitter. And you know, it's not my money. So I really don't care anyway. Right. (laughs) You know, but yeah, I think he'd be a good fit for them. And, um, I don't know what they're going to do with Carter K boom. You know, I'm glad you brought him up because I'm kind of stumped. I don't know if they're going to try to trade him. I don't know. I just, the way they've handled him doesn't really feel like they even necessarily believe in him at this point. And I think that he's kind of, I, I, you know, I hate to say it because it was a 60 game season, but it almost feels like this upcoming year is going to be make or break for him. And that's really not fair because he hasn't gotten much of an opportunity. And I don't know. It's just a very interesting situation. And if I had to, if I had to guess, I think he might be on another team next, you know, by next season, or at least after the deadline or something, because it just doesn't feel like it's going to work out there. And I don't know why, because they obviously, you know, the Nationals have brought up guys like Soto and Robles and so on and so forth. And not only given them opportunities before they were, seemingly ready for him, but, you know, stuck by them. And they haven't done that with Kibum. So I'm kind of interested in that situation.
0: Well, it started this year when, you know, when Martinez says he's the everyday third baseman. And then you see a whole lot of Estrebo Cabrera in the beginning of the season. Yeah. And then you send him down and then you say, well, we suck. So let's bring him back up and give him a full chance. You've botched this. And in a season when you needed him to kind of show you, you didn't give him the requisite time. You didn't give him the proper treatment. And now you're in a spot where, okay, we, we sucked last year. We want to retool. We want to get this, you know, we we have these pitchers, you know, Struzer obviously is in the last year of his deal. I think they're in a good spot where there are a few pieces away, but the problem is, is that you don't know if you have a void at third or not, right? You yeah. don't know if you have a position that you need to fill in an everyday corner, you know, corner outfield or corner infield spot rather. And um, that is a challenge, right? Is that it, this guy probably does deserve a chance somewhere else. It probably makes more sense for him. I know it's tough for the Nets to let go of that because he is, you know, one of their prospects and they, they don't always do the prospect thing very well, like you mentioned. But in this situation, it's so hard because I do think they've painted themselves into a corner where almost a decision needs to come and it needs to come relatively quickly. So, uh, yeah. you know, there's kind of been a weird spot. A couple more things. Uh, one more last thing I want to hit on before we, before we get out of here. The DH. So Marcelo Zuna and Michael Brantley are two guys you have listed on here. And also you have got the Nets... As a possible team interested, my yeah. understanding is this. Well, actually, hold on. So, when do you think we're going to get a full time DH in the National League? Do you think it's going to be in 2021 when the CBA is up, or do you think there's a chance next year we have one? Because if COVID's still around, it's my understanding that these that the Players Association would need to renegotiate some kind of deal with the league, right? Just to kind of take care of the player health and safety, take care of some of you know the I guess the revenue split if it, if it's another shortened season. What situation with that? What can we expect on the on the DH front?
1: You know, I know teams that are operating under the assumption that the DH is here to stay. Now, oh. I don't know, I don't know if that's going to be the case for everybody. But that was what I was told earlier in the
0: okay
1: earlier in the uh, you know off season prep mode or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So, um, with that said, yeah, they do have to agree to that with the union. And I think there was a report out there last week about how the union, excuse me, the league. Wants the union to accept the expanded postseason in exchange for a full time DH. And you know, I kind of assume both of those things will stick around, just because you know, the union gets 15 additional starting jobs and the expanded postseason makes a lot of money. And if you're a player on a team who, you know, let's face it, isn't good enough to make the postseason usually, you know, what do you have to lose by creating to that expanded postseason, right? So, uh, you know, as a fan and Critic, I guess. I'm not necessarily the biggest proponent of the expanded postseason just because I think you get situations where I mean, shoot, look at the Astros this year, right? Like no nice. disrespect yeah. to them, but a yeah. losing record and you know they were a win away from the World Series. And I don't know if that's necessarily good for the game, but yeah, if you're a player, you probably don't care about that stuff as much as you care about potentially getting to play in the postseason what, what and maybe winning a ring.
0: To, what's the number of you know, is it the same as this season? Is that what they're talking about or is it much? You more? know, I think
1: I don't think it'll be 16 right you know when we get back to normal i don't know if this upcoming year if they would stick with 16 because again the pandemic could you know play havoc with the year and you know maybe that's their way of equalizing things or whatever or alternatively and probably more truthfully their way of balancing whatever losses in revenue they sustained from not having fans in the seats Mm -hmm. all year but i think going forward you'll probably see less than half the league it'll probably be like 14 or whatever and you won't see you know that massive more than half the league field uh in october or at least i hope because again that just kind of cheapens it down for me kind of makes it makes the regular season seem pointless why play 162 if more than half the league is going to get in
0: no that's fair the one thing i will say is you know uh i'll, I'll pay whatever cost necessary to get rid of the vh I'm so, <laughs> I'm so tired of watching pitchers hit man and i and i i like I really just have a problem with the old the old crowd who are like oh, I just enjoy the strategy of it and I'm like in a game where it's you know I want to see in any sport you want to see the best versus the best I don't want to see people have to work around the fact they don't have one of the best in the lineup and it to me it cheapens the game in that sense like it the, right. you know in the American League like they let somebody hit for the pitcher because you know we're not signing uh, David Price to to hit right we're not signing Max Scherzer to hit God knows you know he got injured last. <laughs> well, you know, a couple times ago when he was hitting, right? I mean, he's yeah. saw him break his nose in batting practice, and it's like, I mean, this guy's job is to throw throw gas and throw sliders, strike people out, and fire me up on the mound. I only see him taking hacks and getting cut, taking hacks. So right. that's just me. I'll, I'll and, I, and and from that standpoint, I'll pay whatever price necessary. RJ, your your your, uh, your complaints are totally valid, but with this DH conversation in mind, I mean that that makes a guy like Marcelo Zuna. That makes him make a lot of sense to the Nationals if the DH is yeah. stay, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, they were already going to be in the market for a new left fielder based right. on, you know, some of their comments and some of their uh, defensive alignments late in the year. So I think yes. that <laughs> perhaps you are willing to, you know, if you think the DH isn't coming until after the new CBA, that's fair. You can still sign him this winter or, you know, be it Ozuna or Brantley. going to apply to both of them. You can sign him this winter, play him in left next year. Yeah you know their defense is not going to be great. Yeah, you're probably going to lose some runs from that. But at the same time, you have them locked in and then you know you can slide them to DH or right. do whatever you want to do with the DH come 2022. So I don't think the absence of a DH in the 2021 season if it comes to that will necessarily rule out the Nationals from adding one of these guys. I think that they're going to be in the market for a new left fielder and it wouldn't surprise me if they go out there and you know try to get one of these big bats cuz you know their lineup really needs a little help and it just makes a lot of sense in a lot of different ways. So, you know, we'll see what Mike Rizzo has up his sleeve, but I think that he's kind of overdue for one of those big, you know, stunning moves, right? It feels like the last few winners have been defined by him losing guys instead of adding guys. And that's not really the Mike Rizzo way.
0: I agree hundred percent. I cannot agree more. RJ, where can the people find you and your work?
1: Yeah. So you can go to studysportscom slash MLB and, you know, we have a good team. Um, You know, there are a lot of good baseball websites out there, but I think that our range of coverage is really fantastic. And I think our strengths really uh, complement each other well. It's almost like a basketball team, you know, where (laughs) there's a lot of good synergy and whatnot. So I'm very thankful to work where I work. All
0: right, RJ, thank you so much for your time. really appreciate
1: it. Of course. Thank you for having me.